Well, good morning, church. Happy New Year. Can I just take a minute and thank you for being here this morning? I thought I might be here by myself. <laughs> I know some of you stayed up late last night, and so I just want to commend you for being here uh, this morning. So, um, Darren asked me a few weeks ago to, to preach uh, on New Year's uh, Day, and so I asked him, do you have a topic in mind, or do you have a direction that you want me to go with the message today? And he said, no, not, not really. Um, you know, it, it's just going to be a one-off, you know, sermon, a, a standalone sermon. And, you know, those are some of the easiest to prepare for, but also some of the hardest to prepare for. Uh, they're the easiest because you can preach on anything you want, and they're the hardest because you can preach on anything you want. So like the book's open, right, for, for you to preach. So as I began to pray and, and to think about and reflect, like what would the Lord have me to say and, and share with you this morning, I thought, you know, this is special. This year is special because Christmas falls on Sunday and New, Ye New Year's also falls on Sunday. So is there anything special in the church calendar that might, you know, the liturgical church calendar that might help me to form the sermon this morning, the message that he wants me to share with you. And so I looked at a calendar, and do you know what the Sunday after Christmas is? You know what the traditional name of that Sunday is when it falls on a Sunday? Are you ready? Are you ready for it? It's called... The circumcision and name of Jesus. The circumcision and name of Jesus. I'm, I'm definitely going to clear that, clear, stay clear of that topic today. Okay. <laughs> um, so yes, today is a, a one-off standalone sermon because it's not part of a series. But actually, I, I didn't want it to be disconnected from, you know, the last few weeks where we had Advent and we celebrated the coming of our King. And where we're headed, just as you saw in the video a few moments ago, that we are headed into Revelation, and we are waiting for the second coming of our king. And so I wanted to connect it to you, but as I thought about that, the Lord showed me that he actually already connected those two themes in the book of Isaiah. And so this morning, we're going to be taking a look at uh, a number of key passages in the book of Isaiah that takes us from the newborn king, to the new Jerusalem in this new year. And so um, I want to ask Irene Horror to come up, and we've already, Steve already shared this verse today, but we're going to read it again, and, and it'll be also in my sermon. But the title of my sermon is Making All Things New. And so would, would you please stand out of respect for God's word? Uh, Making all things new from the new king to the new Jerusalem. And, and I pray that this year we would be challenged um, as we think about how to respond in the new year with our lives, um, especially since we live in the time from his first advent, and we look forward to his second advent uh, in our study of the book of Revelation. So, Irene, would you read for us? Happy New Year, Pastor Wee. Happy New Year, church, and happy birthday to my sister, Linda. <laughs> <laughs> we are reading from Isaiah 42, 9 through 10. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song. 
his praise from the end of the earth. You will go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlines and their habitats. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Church, would you pray with me? Father, as we start this new year, um, I, I think about Romans 12, um, that we want to offer ourselves as living sacrifices to you, holy and pleasing, which is our spiritual act of worship. We don't want to conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Then we will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So as, as we start this new year, we just offer our lives to you this morning. And so would, would you just begin um, and continue, actually, a, a good work uh, in us that you've already started? Um, use the message today to challenge us and to encourage us. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I, I know for many of us, um, when, as we start the new year, it always brings uh, renewed hope, right? Uh, kind of a, it, for, for me, it kind of resets me where I can start some new things, some, some goals that I'm pursuing this year, or, or maybe change some things that I've been wanting to change. And so one of my hopes for this year is that the Dallas Cowboys would make the Super Bowl. <laughs> yeah, come on, Cowboy fans. <laughs> yeah, that, hope springs eternal, right? It's been like 26 years. But they do have a good team. I'm going to get it so bad from Darren when he comes back up here, especially like if the Chiefs make the Super Bowl and the Cowboys don't. I, I had to get that in while, while I got the, the, uh, the pulpit up here. But I think it would be fun if the Chiefs and the Cowboys met in the Super Bowl, wouldn't it? And you need to hear the banter that goes on among the staff because we have a number of Chiefs fans, but we also have quite a few Cowboys fans too. And, and in the hallway where my office is at, there, there's four offices, okay? And three of us on that side of the hallway are Cowboys fans, okay? There's only one Chiefs fan on that side of the hallway, and it's our new pastor, Brandon, youth pastor. And so he, poor guy, he gets to hear us uh, all the time and... And so, uh, let's see, on that side, there's myself, there's Donnie. Yes, Donnie, I've made, you know, a New Year's resolution to call you Donnie instead of Donald, okay? It, it kind of rolls off, the, it's weird, rolls off the tongue, kind of weird. And then there's Tina Nichols, so we're, we're all Cowboys fans. But, uh, so that's, that's one of my hopes for this new, new year. But as we look at these passages in Isaiah, let me remind you, the storyline and where we are in the scriptures, okay? So God had just delivered the Israelites out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt, and so he takes them to Mount Sinai, and there he sets them apart. He sets them apart as a treasured possession, a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. But unfortunately, they failed miserably at that description when they went into the promised land that, that Yahweh had given them. Um, they intermarried with the nations around them, and they worshiped their false gods. So he sent prophet after prophet in the history of Israel. He sent prophet after prophet to announce judgment on them and to call them back to faithfulness to himself. So enter the prophet Isaiah, uh, who was sent to the, by the Lord to the southern kingdom of Judah to do just that, to pronounce judgment on them, that he would bring, that the Lord would bring um, the Babylonians to judge them if they, they did not 
return to being faithful to their God. And also because their leaders um, were uh, treating people, uh, marginalized and, and oppressing people, and um, not, not treating um, the, the, the poor like they should be pre- treating them. So they, they failed. They were taken into captivity for the next 70 years to Babylon. And the last half of the book of Isaiah, um, there is hope because he promises that he will bring those people back into the promised land. But he also provides a new hope. And he says that ultimately God will form a people who will be his treasured possession, who will be that kingdom of priests, and who will be that holy nation, but not by their own strength or their own power, but by his spirit. And so he promises that, and that provides hope. Uh, during the Advent season, one of the most familiar and most often quoted verse, and, and um, we read it a lot, is in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And so as we look at this passage, it prophesies the coming of the Messiah and that he would be a king. Uh, Just notice some of the key words in here that clue us into his kingship, like government, throne of David, and kingdom. But see, this king will be different than all the other kings in the history of of the Israel nation, Israel and Judah. He would be a greater king than King David. And he would be a new king that would rule with perfect justice and righteousness, and the peace that he brings would be without end. Now, we know that the justice and the righteousness and the peace that Isaiah is speaking about has not been fully realized, at least in, on this earth right now. We see glimpses of it um, as the gospel has gone out and transformed societies and, and cultures and had, have, have transformed things that are just ugly um, into something very beautiful. But we know that it's not perfect. The justice and righteousness and peace that Isaiah is speaking about is in the eschatological future. And simply, that just means it's in the end of time. So Isaiah goes on to tell us that this new king would do something that has never been done before, in Isaiah 42, verses 9 to 10, and we've, we've already heard that a couple times, but let me read it again. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the end of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that fills it, the coastlands and their inhabitants. So he would do this new thing by conquering, but not in the way that people expected or wanted him to. He would not rule with a a heavy hand, but he would actually become a servant of all. And all throughout the book of Isaiah, we see that, that language that's used, the servant of the Lord. And in Isaiah 53, 
he tells us that how he would conquer. Uh, Isaiah 53, verses 5 to 7. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So this new king would actually conquer by dying. Uh, he would be that Passover lamb um, that takes away the sins of the world that Darren talked about a couple weeks ago. And we know that through, from these passages that it points to Jesus as that king. And he would not only be a king, but he would be a servant king. He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But in his dying, what new things is God's servant doing? What are the new things that will be accomplished through his death? So let me just summarize three new things um, that Jesus' death accomplishes. And in each of these uh, is encapsulated a multitude of new things that God has done and that he will do. Okay? So the first new thing he will do is that he will make people into new creations through a new covenant with them. Isaiah tells us in 55, verses 1 to 3, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and, your, and you labor for that which is not satisfied? Listen diligently to me. And eat what is good, and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. So I, Isaiah uses these metaphors of uh, rich foods and refreshing drink when we come to the Lord. This food and the drink are free. They are without price. And it just tells us about God's grace towards us. It's free. It's given freely to us. And he invites people to come to him so that they would experience his love and that their soul would live through this new and everlasting covenant. And here's how Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5.17, a, a verse that's very familiar to us. Therefore, is, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So those who are in Christ, who come to him, who believe and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, he makes into new creatures. He rescues them from the kingdom of darkness and transfers them into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, many of you know that this past April, my wife Shelly was diagnosed with a blood cancer called multiple myeloma, 
And it doesn't currently have uh, a cure, even though they are developing some, some great research, and it's very hopeful. But um, the process is to try to get it into remission. And we were really blessed that we found out about this early so that we could start treatment. And Shelly went through four cycles of, of chemotherapy and had really good results. And so the oncologist told us that the next step to, to drive it into deeper remission was to have a stem cell or bone marrow transplant. And essentially, in a bone marrow or stem cell transplant, what they do is the doctors, they harvest either your own stem cells or stem cells from another donor. And then after they harvest those, they give you a high dose of chemo, which kills all the stem cells in your body and, and, and all the cancer that's in your body. Uh, these stem cells are the ones that, that make your blood, our blood cells. 48 hours after that, they then um, infuse or transplant those stem cells that they've collected back into your body. And they actually call this a rescue of the bone marrow. Because without the transplant, the patient could die due to the high dose of chemo that they get. So the day that the, the transplant um, actually occurred, they call that day zero. And on day 10, um, you're supposed, your white blood counts is supposed to start coming back up. It's supposed to take a significant jump at that time. And, you know, I was thinking in my mind, we caught it early, you know, it was detected early, and Shelly was, you know, in great physical health. She, she's always been in good health. So, you know, I'll prob probably see on day eight, a little jump in the white blood count, and day nine also. But on day eight, the white blood count was still zero. And so on day nine, it was still zero. And so you can imagine at this time, I was beginning to get a little anxious and, and a little bit concerned uh, because I, I would see Shelly and, and, you know, just seeing her walk and get up from the bed and walk to the bathroom to brush her teeth. I mean, she was so fatigued, and it, it just tired her so much just to do something that small. Her, her meals consisted of three to six bites of food, small bites of food. That, that consisted of, of her meal that day. And so I've, I felt so helpless at that time because there was really nothing I could do to help her other than to try to make her feel as comfortable as she could be, possibly be. And I remember sitting uh, in the hospital uh, cafeteria the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And, of course, there's nobody there. It's a holiday, and I'm sitting in the cafeteria by myself. And the reality of the situation hit me like a, a, just a, a punch in the gut. What, what if those white blood cells, that, that count doesn't come back up? What if the transplant doesn't work? What if the bone marrow doesn't get rescued and start making blood cells again? I, I could lose, you know, my wife. I, I could lose my pride, the pride of my youth. And in that moment, I, I cried out to the Lord. 
And <clears throat> I thought about, you know, nearly the nearly 30 years that we had been married. And, and I just cried out, Lord, have favor on us and grant, grant us your grace. Um, you see, KU uh, Cancer Center up in, in Kansas City, um, they've been doing these transplants for around 30 years, over 30 years, and they do thousands of these every year. They have all kinds of historical data and experience, and they pretty much have it down to a science. They can tell you what day things are supposed to happen and, and what the white blood counts are supposed to be. But it is still the Lord who creates those stem cells. Amen? They can describe how that process works and what happens, but it is God, the creator of life, who knits those stem cells together. Because in him, all things are created, and by him, all things hold together. Amen? Well, on, on day 10, <clears throat> we were in the clinic for our, it seemed like, four-hour checkup, our four-hour daily checkup. And one of the first things that they do is they would um, just take her vitals, and then they would draw blood and run a blood panel on it to see where her counts were. And so on this particular day, the nurse took her blood and left the room, and I shut off the light because Shelly was tired. She wanted to lay down and, and just rest. And it takes about 30 minutes to get the results of the blood panel. And as we were waiting, um, a little while later, I heard some, some really loud noises just outside of our door. And I thought, don't these people know what my wife is going through? Do I need to go out there and take care of them? <laughs> but they were actually cheering and applauding. Because a few minutes later, the oncologist and the nurse comes into the room, and the uh, oncologist excitedly told us that her white blood counts had gone from zero to 0.4. Now, yeah, praise God. I know that doesn't sound like a lot, okay, and it, it, it's, it's not, but it's significant because that meant that the transplant had worked and that it was successful. And the, the oncologist, you know, um, she, she was smiling, and she said, hey, thanks for surviving it. <laughs> oh, thanks a lot. <laughs> and she reached over with her elbow to give, give Shelly an elbow bump. But at that time, Shelly and I were just, we, we were overcome with the goodness of God. And... His grace towards us, and uh, just his love for us. Now, here's the deal. Just as those transplanted stem cells rescued my wife by making new blood cells, and Scripture says that life is in the blood, in the same way God rescues us from death, by the blood of Jesus. And by transplanting the Spirit into our hearts so that we believe and trust in His Son. 
The bone marrow transplant is a beautiful picture of the complete heart and life transformation that takes place in us, that the Lord does in us when we come to him. This is how God births new creation and new life in us. The Lord says in Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So the first thing that the Lord does is make us new creations. The second new thing we see that God is doing is that he is drawing men and women from all nations to himself to make a new humanity and a new community. God's covenant people will no longer just be comprised of Israelites, but it will now be comprised of the foreigners of the nations around them. Isaiah 56 says, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Wow. That's, that's amazing. And I've got to believe that Paul had that passage in mind because he was steeped in the Jewish scriptures in the Old Testament, when he wrote to the church, to the believers in Ephesus, in Ephesians 2. Therefore remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments and expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Hey, I, I got the circumcision in, the, in, the, in, <laughs> in my sermon. <laughs> Can you believe that? Uh, this passage has a significant meaning to me now, more, more than it did before. Because um, remember, again, uh, day zero, uh, as we're going through the um, stem cell transplant, day zero is when the stem cells are actually infused back into Shelley's body. But um, on day 10 is when the white blood count starts being measurable. 
And from day zero to day 10, those stem cells, they are trying to find their way to the bone marrow, and they are actually engrafted into the bone marrow so that they start reproducing new blood cells. In the same way, because of Jesus' death and his blood shed on the cross, we who were far off, we who were alienated from Christ, we who were without hope and without God in this world have been brought near. We have been grafted into God's family. We have been brought near and reconciled to God and incorporated into a new community of those who believe in and follow him. This is what Paul calls here one new man. Third, as one new man, Jews and Gentiles who are in Christ, we're no longer citizens of this world. We are now citizens of another kingdom where righteousness dwells. Isaiah 65 speaks of this new kingdom. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy, and her people to be gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in, in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together, the lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. You see, the world as it exists currently, is not our home. We are looking forward to the inheritance of, of a new land. God will do a new thing and redeem this broken, sinful world, this sinful creation into the new heavens and the new earth where all brokenness and wickedness of this world will be judged and those who are his will be redeemed. All the hurt, the injustices, the sickness, the cancers will all be set right. And everything will be restored as God had originally created before sin entered into his good world. So what's the implication for us? You know, in light of these three things that God is making those who believe in Christ into new creations, that those of us who are new creations are being incorporated into a new family and a new community, and that that family will inherit the new heavens and the new earth. How should we live in light of these truths? How should this shape and form us as we consider what the Lord would want us to do in this next year, in this new year? What kind of people ought we to be? And what's the implication for us? There are so many, but let me just highlight three of them. First, since we are new creations, we should live out of that new self, who we really are in Christ. Ephesians 4 says, To put off your old self, put it off, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, 
and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So in this new year, whatever sins you have struggled with in this past year or in a number of years past, you can put that off by the power of the Holy Spirit and then put on the new selves and live out of the new self that you truly are in Christ that reflects his image. The scriptures say that we bear the name of Christ. And that means that we represent him in all areas of our lives. Um, As a young engineer, straight out of college, um, I worked at the refinery in El Dorado. And I worked with a number of men that had some pretty spicy language. And I didn't realize how much that influenced and affected me. You know, I'd only been a Christian for about roughly three years at that time. And so there was one day I was working on a project and working with a couple of these men, and they were not being cooperative at all. And so I told them, I I said, you know, I, I wish you would just shut the expletive up and do your expletive job. If you could have seen these 40- and 50-year-olds look at a 23-year-old, I think they were about ready to knock my head off. What a a punk, right? After I I let those words come out of my mouth, I was under such a heavy conviction by the Holy Spirit that cut me to the heart. And I never let those words come out of my mouth again, or did I treat people like that ever again. You see, we don't get to choose, we don't get to pick and choose when we bear or how we bear God's name. We represent him all of the time. And God and and, and people are always watching us because when we claim the name of Christ, they're observing to see the things that we say and how we act. We are to bear his name in all areas of our life. And, you know, the Lord continues to work on me in in certain areas so that I represent him well in all of my being. So you see, I I did fit fit in the circumcision and the name of Jesus in this sermon, in this message. Uh, Secondly, since we are new creations and God has incorporated us into a new community, He doesn't just want individuals to reflect him, but he wants a whole people that love each other in tangible ways and reflect who he is to those around him. That's what Peter meant when he called the people of God in 1 Peter a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and the people of his own possession, that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We absolutely cannot adequately represent him by ourselves. We we have to be in community. Paul puts it like this in Ephesians 4. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I think probably most of you know that there are roughly 59 one another commands in the New Testament. And what I've discovered is that you cannot practice those one another's that this passage talks about unless you're in community with others. How do we care for the well-being of those around us? Where can we speak words that build others up and, and that actually give grace to those who hear? You know, we, we hear a lot of talk today in, in today's culture about we need to pursue our, our authentic self. How do you actually do that? How do you actually do that? It's not by seeking your own self-interest and your desires and what makes you happy as you know, commercials and advertising and social media tells us. You only become your truest self when you are living as part of a transformed community where you have been renewed by God's Spirit and are becoming and living as His people. Did you get that? You only become, thanks Todd, you only become your truest self when you are living as part of a transformed community where you have been renewed by God's Spirit and become and are becoming and living as His people. That's when we become more fully human than we have ever been and how God created, created us to be before the fall. And that's why here, here at Central, we provide a number of environments um, that allow you to be in community with others and to practice the one another's. So let me just share, and, and, and you got some, you're familiar with these, okay? But I want to just remind you, one of these environments is what we call the gospel life classes or the GLCs um, that allows you to connect with others in, in smaller groups and to study God's word um, at, a, at a deeper level um, in, in smaller groups. And, you know, as we start the new year, this is a perfect time for those of you that maybe who have never gone to GLC before and want to give it a try, or, or maybe you went for a while and you've kind of stopped going and you want to re-engage GLC, this is a great time to start because as, as we had in the bumper video, we're going to be starting uh, a sermon series in the book of Revelation. And then we're going to, right after that, we're going to be going into the gospel life classes and discussing that uh, sermon at a deeper level. And so what better time to start than now? We're actually going to be starting a, a new GLC class that is going to be led by Lewis Erickson, uh, our director of house churches, and his wife, Nancy. For those of you that have never engaged GLCs before and want to start with some other new people, 
Okay, we'll be starting that in a couple weeks on the 15th. And so I, I would just encourage you, you know, and challenge you in this season to engage that because we have GLCs for, I mean, everybody, right? Middle school, high school, college, young adults, uh, married, seniors, empty nesters, uh, intergenerational. I mean, there is a GLC for you. So uh, try one, try one out, and see if, if one fits. But this is a great time to commit to start. Uh, we also have house churches where people gather together in small groups, in homes to, to study God's Word through the Discovery Bible method, uh, Discovery Bible study. And really the, the emphasis of house churches is whatever we're studying and whatever we're getting from God's Word, we want to apply that to our lives. And we actually want to be obedient to what we've just learned in God's Word. And the other thing is we want to be able to reach out to those who are outside of Christ where we live, work, and play. And there, there's, we have a number of house churches, and you can see those on the website. Uh, Shelly and I have uh, experienced really in, in a profound way as we have, well, we continue to go through um, this stem cell transplant journey and this cancer journey. We have experienced in a profound way from our church family here, from our gospel life class, from uh, our, our, the house church that we participate in. They have loved us and cared for us and prayed for us in significant ways. And I can't even begin to, to thank you all enough for all of you that have reached out to us during this season. I don't know how people, you know, go through something like that, that major, without the support and love of brothers and sisters in Christ. So, so thank you so much for that. Finally, because we are part of a, a transformed community in Christ, this makes us citizens of another kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth. We will inherit the new Jerusalem. So how should that affect how we live in the here and now? We need to live informed by the scriptures. One example is in 2 Peter 3 which tell us how we are to live informed by Isaiah 65 that speaks of the new heavens and the new earth. It says, Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. As a new transformed community, we should be a holy and godly people as we wait for the new heavens and the new earth. This is who God's covenant people are called to be. Two passages from Paul come to mind. The first is in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul spends the whole chapter talking about how our resurrection is rooted in Christ's resurrection and that we will get a resurrected body to live in the new heavens and the new earth. And then at the end of the, the chapter, he concludes by this exhortation in verses 56 to 58. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. 
But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Everything we do in the Lord in this life is meaningful. And I'm not just talking about, you know, our churchy stuff that we do. You know, whether you're designing and building something, or you're learning how to play an instrument, or you're writing a play or a poem, or you're cooking a good meal for friends, or you're playing pickleball, or you're serving your neighbors. I mean, all of those things, when they are done in the Lord and for his glory, is meaningful and will endure into God's future. So how can we be faithful to what the Lord has called us to do and to be the people that he wants us to be as we anticipate his second coming and as we study the book of Revelation? Uh, We have an opportunity to do that as, as we Uh, go through the sermons, and as we go into the gospel life classes, we have the opportunity to explore that a lot more in the coming weeks and and months. The second is in Colossians 3.17, which says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever we do or say in the name of the Lord Jesus now has meaning And we will only build upon it in the future. Don't think that where the Lord has you now and what you're doing does not have meaning. And in this next year, as you think about what you may want to start, consider that you will only build upon that in the new heavens and the new earth. And just because we're going to be perfected at that time in the new heavens and the new earth doesn't mean that we will know everything completely or be able to do everything perfectly. We will continue to learn new things and new skills that we didn't have before. Uh, One of the things that I I love to do is, of course, I I love to cook, okay? And so one of my goals this next year is to learn how to smoke brisket and ribs. And I know a lot of you smoke your own meats out there, so if you have some tips that you want to give me, um, just reach out to me. I also love to eat, (laughs) and especially ethnic and cultural foods, and I would love to learn how to cook some of them, but right now, I just don't have the time to do that, but I will have in the new heavens and the new earth, and so I'll have all kinds of time. So my Pakistani brothers and sisters, you can teach me how to make biryani, okay? My Kenyan brothers and sisters, you can teach me how to make ugali, okay? We're going to be able to do those types of things, and we're going to build and learn new things and continue to grow. I I haven't been uh, that consistent in memorizing scriptures uh, in these last few years, and so I want to start doing that in the next year. And actually, the, the verses that I memorize now, I'll only build on in the new heavens and the new earth, because when I'm perfected, that doesn't mean that I'm all knowing. that I've got all the scriptures memorized. I don't, they just don't come instantaneously. But I do know that in the new heavens and the new earth, I will be better able to memorize scripture because you know, I'll be able to utilize more of my brain because it won't be hindered by sin. And, and that's exciting, 
That's exciting to think about. So here's how you respond. Three ways. Living out of the new self that you really are. Living in new community with brothers and sisters in Christ. And living lives informed by scriptures as you await the new heavens and the new earth. So as we conclude, um, I want to address those of you, you know, I've been talking about the new creation. And maybe you're here this morning and you have no idea what that is. Uh, You know, maybe your resolution was to come to church in the new year and you're here this morning, but you have no idea what the new creation is. Well, this is Isaiah's exhortation to you in 55, 6, and 7. This is God's message for you this morning. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon My question to you, if you've never experienced the new life, is how will you respond this morning? How will you call? Will you call upon the name of the Lord? See, there is nothing that you have done that he will not abundantly pardon, but he asks that you forsake your old way. The Bible calls that repentance. It's a turning away from the direction that you're going in and to turn and to seek him while he may be found. And the thing is, God will have incredible, amazing compassion on you because he is a compassionate God. Okay, for those of you who have experienced the new life and have believed in Christ, how are you living out of that? How, how do you plan to live out of that this next year? How are you bearing God's name in every area of your life? Are you living in community with others who will journey with you? The new year is a great time to start or restart being in community. You know, if, if the business of life has just crowded out those things, your relationship with God and relationship with others, this is a great time to start this new year. Redeem the time the Lord has given you as you live between the time that he came as the newborn king and when he comes again as the sovereign king and judge. Redeem that time that's been given to you now because Honestly, we we don't know how much time we have left, okay? Whether that is Jesus returns this year, and let me be very clear, I'm not predicting that he's coming back this year, okay? Let me be very clear about that. Or the days that we have left on this earth are ended, whether it's through sickness or through cancer or through sudden death. And I know that a number of our families here in our congregation have experienced that or several of those things this past year. And so this morning, I just plead with you to to respond. Okay, how will you respond 
to that in the new year. And so right now, I want to invite our pastors and our prayer counselors, our elders, to come up front. And and I would just um, encourage you, you know, as the Holy Spirit has been moving maybe in your life this morning, to respond. You know, what are you going to do in response to God's word to you this morning, whether it's through new life, by trusting in him, or through a recommitment of where you've been this past year, and that you know you need to pursue him harder. So let me invite our, our counselors and pastors and, and um, prayer warriors up, and, and let me pray for us, okay? Father, I'm thankful for your mercies, as Steve said earlier, that they are new every morning. And that each day we can have newness of life in you. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just be working in hearts and minds right now and helping us to respond to who you are, Jesus, because you are worthy of responding to, and you are worthy of following, and you are worthy of our worship. And so, Spirit, um, just move right now in this room. Uh, Move in people's lives. Move in people's hearts. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.